This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Valentinus was a bishop in Rome in the third century. Man deeply committed to marriage and covenant and the things of Jesus Christ. Claudius, the cruel, was the leader of the state. He firmly believed that it was important to have a very powerful army. And so he banned marriages. He banned engagements. Because men should not be distracted by the things of the home. Well, Valentinus said, well, I'm firmly committed to following Jesus Christ. I'm fully committed to the covenant of marriage. And so secretly he would marry people until he was outed, dragged before the prefect of Rome, at which point he was judged. He was stoned and beaten and beheaded on February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, that's probably what happened. I say probably because we really don't know. In fact, truth be told, the historical record mentions three different guys, kind of with some name, kind of like Valentine, who were bishops and were all martyred and happened to be all martyred on February 14th. And one was a bishop in Africa and one was a bishop in, in northern Italy and one was a, a bishop pastor in, in Rome. And they all seemed to stick it to the state by fighting for marriage and defying those who are in seats of power. It's a beautiful thing. I'm all for marriage, and I'm all for love, and I'm all for those things. And I'm all for sticking it to the state. It's just, this is a beautiful thing. Valentine's Day is great. This is awesome. I say that in contrast to what I experienced this last week. Historically, we have this an example of a man named Valentine, probably, who fought for marriages, probably, who lived a long time ago and was martyred for his faith, probably. And I'm standing in front of this store, and I see this guy, he walks in, and he's in front of this, 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 this big thing that holds lots of chocolates and candies, Beautiful, lots of different chocolate this and chocolate that and hearts of this and red cinnamon that. And he, he has this face of someone who's flustered and annoyed and, and frustrated and maybe all three at once. And the very kind attendant comes to the counter and says, can I help you? The embodiment of all things modern Valentine. I, uh, I want three of those bourbon cherries in a box. All right. Off she grabs three bourbon cherries, puts them in a box. I'm standing and hiding in the shadows, hoping for a good sermon illustration, because that's what I do. Because <laughs> that's, that's how I roll. And so I'm watching him and listening to him, while at the same time my eye is captivated by a box of chocolates high on the shelf in the shape of Ohio. And I'm saying to myself, who gives who a box of chocolates in the shape of Ohio. And I'm not saying that you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying, you know what she wants? She wants a box of chocolate shaped like Ohio. I love Ohio and I love love and I love all these things. 
And then all of a sudden, my attention comes back to the man at the counter, and the attendant comes, here's your box of, of three bourbon cherries. Is there anything else that I can do for you? Nah, that's enough. She knows I love her. I'm like, dude, I'm going to make you famous this Sunday. <laughs> that's what he said. Now, don't get, nah, that's enough. She knows I love her. And out he goes. I am not in this moment judging him, his intentions, or his heart, or anything else. Who knows? It could have been for his gerbil, for all I know. And really, third bur three bourbon cherries is all the little rat can handle. I'm just saying, in that moment, there seemed to be a disconnect between a man who will defy the state, defy the powers of the emperor, all in the name of Jesus and marriage and love to... Boxes of chocolate shaped like Ohio and three bourbon cherries, that's enough. And I say to myself, hold on a second. Isn't that what I do all the time in my relationship with Jesus? Eh, that's enough. He knows I love him. Go to church a little bit, drop a little bit in the plate, maybe serve every now and then, say hi to my neighbor who's a jerk. Eh, that's enough. Jesus knows I love him. Something's happened. Maybe you have come here this morning and you're very content with your faith. You're very happy with where things are. It's good. You drop a couple tokens here, a couple tokens there. Yeah, that's enough. Jesus knows I love him. But maybe you're like me a little bit and you feel an inner tension that you know, oh, there's something in my heart and in my spirit that's at odds with each other. That yes, I am so prone to a pettiness of my faith, but Paul, I really want something more. And I believe that there's something far beyond boxes of chocolate shaped like Ohio and three bourbon cherries. Paul, how do I get from where I am to that place? Where if the state said no, I'd be like, stop me. Stop me. I want to invite you, turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Let's see if Jesus can help us with this tension that I feel, and maybe you feel too. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you. We'll have verses up on the screen if you're following along online. Thank you for doing that. And take out your notes and I'm going to do a bunch of talking. We'll get to some filling in in a little bit later. But I want to set up this section of Scripture where Jesus is talking about the undoing of all the religious institutions in Jerusalem. He's setting up what's going to be the sacking of Jerusalem by the Roman powers. And then he, he gives a series of five parables, kind of connecting back to how now should you live? 
knowing that there are things that are coming down the pike. How now should you live? And, and that really grabbed my attention because we've just come out of this series in the book of Revelation. Maybe you remember that. For four months, we walked through this book, which many of us have avoided. Like, it's, it's a plague of leprosy. Like, I'm not touching Revelation. That's weird. But God kind of led us to a place. This is how we should live, knowing that Jesus is going to return and he's going to right every wrong and he's going to dry every tear. Well, can we sit in that place? Can we sit in a place of kind of confession and repentance, knowing that my heart is prone to wander? That on any given Sunday, eh, that's enough. Jesus knows I love him. Historically, 40 days leading up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is a season of Lent, a season of repentance, of brokenness, where we as followers of Jesus slow down and say, you know what, let's not rush into the resurrection. Let's not rush into the celebration. What is it that gets us to that place? What has to happen? That God would deign himself, come down, walk among us, initiate this new movement of life. How broken are we that it calls for such a sacrifice on Jesus' part? And so Lent historically has been a time for us to slow down. But how many of you grew up, how many of you grew up with Lent in church growing up? You're like, yeah, get that, give up like chocolate, fish, and some kind of stuff, and maybe you went to church and did Ash Wednesday, right? Well, maybe you haven't. So I thought we'd kind of ease into the water, if you will. And let me paint some broad strokes and where we can go together over the next 40 days. And I think Jesus helps us here in Matthew 25. I want to read it for you. Follow along with me, please, if you're got your device, you got your book, you got your tablet, you got your phone, or you're going to follow along. Matthew 25. God is going to invite us to invest in the incredible. Let me read. Matthew 25, 14 through 29. Help me, please. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who'd received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. The master said, Well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I know you're a hard man. You reap where you do not sow, gather where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. His master said to him, You wicked, slothful servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? And you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a way to live in light of God and Jesus' return. So a little bit of historical context. Jesus is unpacking a series of five parables. He's talking about the falling of all the religious institutions. He's talking about the rising up of Rome and the decimating of all things. How now shall we live? We want to avoid the kind of historical drift that leads a Christianity from a place where a man will die from marriage in defiance of the emperor, to where we might find ourselves now with boxes shaped like Ohio and three bourbon cherries and say, yeah, that's enough. How do we live? I think there's some anchors just in this narrative. One of them, and this isn't something to write down in your notes, maybe something to remember, but Jesus seems to be stressing that we need to live in light of God's generosity. We need to constantly be living in light of God's generosity. Here are three servants who are given much by their master. And you're like, well, how much is much? Because it says five and it says two and it says one. We might get hung up on that word talent, right? Because we'll use the word talent. Well, you got some talent, you got no talent. There's talent, there's no talent. That's not how that word is used. Talent is really a, a way of describing weight, something of great weight. Like you would say ton. There's a ton. Now we don't know what the ton is. It could be a ton of gold. It could be a ton of silver. So it's difficult for us to maneuver how much is really being communicated in this story. But experts kind of lean around the fact that one talent equals 6,000 days of work. One talent is the silver, or maybe gold, that's equivalent to what someone would make over 6,000 days of labor, between 16 and 20 years. So if you're making minimum wage today, we're talking around $400,000. It's one talent. That changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, that, that changes it actually maybe a lot. Because while one guy received millions of dollars and one guy kind of received maybe a couple million, the guy with the one still got $400,000, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. Granted, it's not a million, but if you want to give me $400,000, I'll find something to do with it. Yes? So we're learning to live, and this is the message I think that Jesus is communicating, learning and living according to God's generosity. Whether we're talking about five or two or one, we're talking about a whole lot. 
And so I ask myself, in what ways has God been generous to me? Words like love come to the surface. Words like grace. Words like forgiveness. Time, even time. I think that may be a, a hidden quality in this passage because it says the master goes away for a long time as if say, here, I've given you something and I'm going to give you time to do something with it. How has God been generous with me? And I need to live in light and according to that generosity, but also live according to our unique purpose. Here's where people get mad. One got five and one got two and one got one and that's not fair. I've got kids. You got kids? Grandkids? How come you got five and two and I got one? It's not fair. We're all about fair. We're all about fair. In that word ability, you can also say purpose. You can also say power. You can say potential. Capacity. But he gave to each according to their purpose, their potential, their ability, their capacity, their power. And if we slow down enough, we can realize that lots of things contribute to our individual power and capacity, potential and power. Aren't there internal factors that limit and shape what I can do and how I can do it? Right? Sure. I can stand up here and preach in Ohio and I'll do okay. You drop me in the middle of Russia and ask me to preach, I'm not going to do very well. I don't have what it takes internally to communicate to that type of group. I'm limited. I have limitations. I have internal limitations, emotional limitations, mental limitations, mental capacities and abilities and powers. Sure, there are internal things that shape how and what I can do. It's just a fact of being a human being. I have limits. Aren't there also external limitations? External things that shape what I can and what I can't do? Geography? Relationships? Experiences? History? Culture? Context? That come together and have an effect upon that open certain doors and close other doors. But of all the differences and all the uniquenesses that make me me and make you you, still the invitation is the same. Come, let's do something incredible. Let's do something incredible. And an expectation of, please, do something with what I've given you. Do something with what I've given you. You put a cactus in the desert. It is designed to do everything that it possibly can to absorb and to gather and to collect the smallest of molecules in the environment so that it can live. And a healthy cactus might grow, what, an inch, a year, maybe? And it's doing good. Growing in the desert, that's phenomenal. That's amazing. Then you go to a rainforest where you find trees of bamboo, and they are just drinking and they're drinking and they're growing and they're growing. Cactus will grow an inch a year. Bamboo will grow five inches in a night. Is the bamboo better than the cactus? Sarah says, yes. The bamboo is better than the cactus. 
Would you trade them and would you expect the same results? No, that plant is uniquely designed to do that. And that plant is uniquely designed to do that. And all the things, the internal and the external things coming together. So let's not get hung up on five and two and one. God in his wisdom gave according to that that purpose and that ability might be fulfilled. This isn't a unique thing to Jesus. Let me read some other verses in the New Testament. How God gives grace accordingly to his infinite wisdom. Just a bunch of verses. Here's here's Romans 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Ephesians 4, 7. Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. One more, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I'm reminded a few weeks ago we learned about the Jesus burger. Some of you guys remember the Jesus burger. And on a good burger, you might have tomatoes, and you might have lettuce, and you might have this, and you might have that, all coming together, all different, all coming together. God makes it clear that within his economy, some are called to do this, and some are called to do this, and some are called to do this. Invitations to something incredible. Let's do something incredible. And the expectation that we'll do it. Getting set up for the artists this morning. We got piano players and we have vocalists, guitar players. We had clarinet. Wasn't that nice? We had clarinet today, right? Right? Was it beautiful? The needs for the clarinet are different than the needs for the piano. For Lola to do what Lola needed to do, she needed a stool, stand, mic, a little place for the clarinet. She needs about three square feet to make this thing happen. It's awesome, okay? For the clarinet to do the clarinet thing. Now, for Mo to make the piano thing do the piano thing, she needs a whole lot bigger footprint. The piano needs a whole lot more space. It's just the way it's designed to do what the piano needs to do. Doug, we have to make sure he has lots of room so he doesn't knock anybody out when he swings his guitar around. Okay? So we had to make sure that Lola was far enough away and that Doug could do his thing. Love it. Sarah, so she could lead us through, she needed her space. Each instrument, each artist, doing their thing, needing different things, same expectation. Serve the kingdom. We need to live according to the grace that God has given us. The master's investment into the five or the two or the one, were they reflections of the dignity of that individual? Was one less of a human than the one with five? Less of a human? No. Not an expression of whether they liked one or the other. It's a reflection of purpose. Design. And then the call to live in light of that accountability. The master is coming back. What are you going to do with my treasure? The idea of judgment, I know we really struggle with that notion. We would prefer that there not be judgment. Let's just get rid of judgment and take judgment off the table. That would be better. Let's have a theology with no judgment. I agree. That'd be awesome. Not happening. 
We were getting together, elders, elder candidates, last Sunday evening, beginning of each month, I sit down with them and we work through various facets of theology. They have a, a theology textbook that they're going through. Um, it made some of them cry when they saw it in the beginning of the year. Some of them were like, this is awesome, let's do this together. And this last Sunday, they made it through the last chapter of the book, uh, focused on Christian hope, eschatology, things to come talking about the various aspects that are incorporated in Christian hope. The fact that the king is coming back, as you can imagine, is a big part of them. That there's new life, that there's resurrection. But also the Bible does not shirk away, but is clear in communicating there is judgment involved. There is judgment involved. In our various traditions that many of us come from different streams, we talk about judgment or don't talk about judgment accordingly. I've grew up in a tradition at times over the years where judgment was treated like the golden ticket to get on the bus to the happy place. We've talked about this many times. I'm going to keep saying it because I believe it's a problem. Walking with Christ is not about coming up and getting your ticket at the counter and then waiting for the bus to show up to go to the happy place as opposed to going to the bad place. That's an easy sell. Who wants to go to the bad place? I don't want to go to the bad place. You want to go to the good place? I want to go to the good place. Okay, come up and we'll give you a ticket. Truth be told, if we look intentionally, biblically, what does the narrative tell us? We're all going to be judged. We all face judgment. In the book that the guys were reading, and this to say, orthodox belief and petty legalism are not the criteria by which human lives are finally measured. Meaning, hey, I checked the right idea box or I did the right thing box. Let me check my box. Let me check my box. Let me check my box. I checked my boxes. Can I have my ticket? The criteria are simple trust in God's grace and joyful participation in Christ's way of self-giving love that manifests itself in often quite ordinary service of others, especially the poor, the sick, and the outcast. Have I invested in the unique purposes of God? Have I oriented my agenda to put God's purposes first? Am I a good servant or a wicked servant? This helps us dial into that. So maybe in your notes, let's write a couple things down. Because that's a question I want to know. Am I a good servant or am I a bad servant? And, and these are some things that we learn. A good servant is this. A good servant invests in the master's interests. A good servant will invest in the master's interests. I'll give you a second to write that down. Fill it in together. There's an incredible opportunity. The master comes. He invests his generosity in me according to purpose and design, according to all these things. First one comes, gets five, has a conversation with the master, says, hey, you gave me five, earn five more. Well done. Well done. That's awesome. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
Notice he didn't say good and successful. He said good and faithful servant. There might be a difference between faithfulness and success. I don't know. Come and enter my rest and my joy. A second guy comes up. He says, hey, Master, you gave me two, and I got two more. Yeah! Thank you. Well done, good and, not successful, faithful servant. Come enter my joy and my rest. Do you notice that at no time did the master say to the guy with two, hey, um, your buddy over there, he got me five more. How come you only got me two more? Like, he got me five more. Why did you only brought me two? Like, what's up with that? Like, you skimping? No. That servant isn't being measured compared to that servant. That servant is being asked according to who that servant is with what that servant was given. An invitation to maybe not compare so much. Okay? The very thing that Facebook and social media drives on. But a good servant will invest in what the master's interests are, and they're called faithful. And they're told, well done. But not all do. There's a third one, and this one shakes me to my bones, if I'm being honest. It's just, it, it shakes me to my bones. A guy comes up and says, hey, I know you're a rough guy. You'll, you'll gather things where you didn't plant things. You'll reap things where you didn't sow things. So I, uh, I buried it. Here's your $400,000 back. What is a wicked servant? Let's write this down in your notes. The wicked servant buries his own future. The wicked servant will bury his own future. Let me give you a chance to write that down. Really, really didn't know the master at all, did he? He says he did. Like, yeah, you, you're, you're a rough guy. You're a tough guy. And I'm afraid of you. So I went and I buried it. But is that at all what's being communicated in this story? He's generous. Generous. Giving above and beyond what, what might possibly be realized that our God, our master, invests in his people, invests in those that he calls his children. I am placing things in your hands. I am giving you love and I am giving you grace and I am giving you gifts and I am giving you place and I am giving you purpose. I am investing in you. You ever stop to think about that? God invests in you. I'm going to put you in a place. I'm going to put you around a place. I'm going to put things in you and over you. I'm investing in you. But there's an expectation, isn't there? Master comes back. The master is coming back. What have you done with what I gave you? The knowledge that you have of me, the grace that you've received, the love that you've walked in, the forgiveness that you asked for, the message that you heard, 
You doing you, what did you do with that I gave you to do? There's an expectation. But at the same time, he lingers. And I've really learned to appreciate this in this passage. He gives me time to screw it up and to come back around again. How many of us got it right the first time? Any of you following Jesus? Nailed it. First time. Got myself baptized, haven't dropped the ball since. Anyone? Anyone? Aren't you thankful that he is taking his time a little bit? I am thankful. As I get to tarry and linger with you, that God gives me some time. Like, Paul, I give you five years. Man, you really screwed that up. Let me send somebody else in. A wise pastor who helped start a church who I respect, he said, hey, this is what he said to his church. You got my worst five years. The least I can do is give you the next 40 while I figure this thing out again. You know? He lingers. He lingers so that we can enter in and experience and walk in that grace and that love and enjoy the relationship. But no, he says, I was afraid of you and I buried it. I buried it. That's Bible language for greedy self-centeredness. To put something in the ground is a symbolic way of saying hiding it onto self. He was more concerned about his own agenda. He was more concerned about his own self-preservation than what he was about moving the master's agenda forward. That's what that means. He wasn't really afraid. And the master calls him out on it. He said, really? If you really thought you knew me, I mean, it'd be a whole lot easier just to drop it off at the bank than to build a giant hole that holds 6,000 weeks worth of silver in it. The master calls him out because it was really about himself than it was a misunderstanding of who and what. Don't forgetting that this whole passage has this big um, eternal aspect to it. That it's not about five or two or one. It's about I have been given and I am accountable to live in the light of God's grace. And so Jesus shows me the good and Jesus shows me the wicked. And Jesus shows me the faithful and he shows me the worthless. Ouch. Worthless. That clarinet right there, right now, it's worthless until Lola picks it up. And that keyboard is worthless until Mo sits down and plays it. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. It was a worthless investment. My wife asked me this gut-wrenching question about a week ago. We had some people over. It was late into the night. And out of nowhere, you know, that's when the good questions come, right? I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't prepared for it. I was just sitting here chatting, working my way through my meats and my cheeses and my mustards. And all of a sudden she says, hey, what's the first thing that you want to ask Jesus when you see him? Like, oh, man. That's a good one. I mean, I've got lots of questions. Maybe you have questions when you actually see him face to face. We sang about that. But what's the first question that you would ask him? I'm like, that's a good one. I still don't have an answer yet. Let me ask you a question. 
What do you want to hear when you see Jesus? What do you want to hear when you see Jesus face to face? Because not all heard the same thing. Two heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You enter into the joy of your master's rest. But one heard, you wicked, worthless, lazy servant. Which one do you want to hear? Well, I don't know. I got to think about it a bit. I suppose it could go either way. No, which, what, what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? Don't you want to hear good and faithful? Isn't you want to hear, Paul, I gave you love and you shared love. And Paul, I gave you grace and you used that grace. Paul, I gave you ministry. You invested that ministry. Paul, I gave you a family to figure it out and sons and a spouse. And you, thank you, Paul, I gave you time. Well done. All done. I mean, you really screwed some things up, but for the most part, Paul, you did a great job. Thank you. That's what I want to hear. How about you? In the middle of your notes, I, I, kind, of, I kind of put those big and bold. On one side, you have good and faithful. On the other side, you have worthless and wicked. Which one do you want? Circle it, please. Circle it. He is so generous, isn't he? He's so generous. This passage caught me from unique angles as I looked at it, thinking about Lent that was coming up. A lot of the conversation in culture today surrounding privilege and equality. In many respects, I appreciate the conversation. In some respects, the conversation boils my blood. If you're asking me to come up to me and you want me to apologize for my privilege, I will not do that. I recognize God has blessed me very much. I appreciate the conversation to the extent that it calls me and reminds me that all that I have, whether it's five or two or one, is to be leveraged to love God and to love others in all capacities, in every way as I possibly can. So if I have five, thanks be to God, may I be a good and faithful servant. If I have two, thanks be to God, may I be a good and faithful servant. If I have one, thanks be to God. May I be a good and faithful servant. But what I recognize, and I'm asking you to see with me, is that it's really not my propensity to be a five or a two. It's the natural inclination of my heart to take what God has given me and bury it while I seek my own agenda. That's naturally what I have a habit of doing. Ask those who know me best. The natural leaning of my heart is towards fleshiness and earthiness and not godness. 
not goodness. And so my heart needs to be caught. My heart needs to be healed. My heart needs to be humbled. And Lent helps me do that. Because the conversation of Lent and the season of 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday is the reality that it is so bad and this is so broken. The only thing that God could do is come down and take it upon himself. Those are the only hands that are capable of fixing what I really screwed up. Lent reminds me of that. So I'm inviting you to journey with us for the next 40 days starting on Wednesday. Would you join me Wednesday evening for a time of prayer and and transformation of recognizing that apart from God's grace, I really mess things up. That I need his grace and I need his forgiveness and I need his love to wash over me. My heart needs to be reminded of that. Historically, some have gathered on Ash Wednesday and taken ashes upon their forehead. I thought it's kind of hard to remind me because I can't see my own forehead. But I still think, you know, there's something good about sacramentally taking some ash and realizing I am, I am broken. We kind of highlighted some key dates over the next 40 days of when we can gather together. The end of February, we have Teo and Bree Makumba coming in. There are our global partners in Rwanda. Teo, uniquely formed and shaped to the ministry that God has called him to, bringing about reconciliation, the proclamation of the gospel in a country that was riddled with genocide. I'm not built for that. By God's grace, God sent Teo back into that. He's going to share his story. Also, we uh, procured a license so that we can show Passion of the Christ on Good Friday. Maybe some of you have seen that. Maybe some of you have avoided it. If you've avoided it, you probably need to see it. Because it confronts me. It confronts me that the brokenness is so great and the sin is so great that God had to embody it in such a way that would get my attention and confront my own pettiness. That my understanding of love is boxes of chocolate that look like Ohio and three bourbon cherries. I have to be confronted. I have to be poked at. These instruments don't work if they're not struck, if they're not plucked, if they're not poked. And if my heart is going to sing, I have to put it in a place where God can poke it and pluck it and hit it a little bit. And Lent lets us do that. Some of you have asked, Paul, I really appreciate it. When you put those readings for us, and I, I want to read daily, but I don't know what to read, and the Bible's a big book, and it kind of scares the snot out of me, and some books I started, and it's like, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and the next thing I know, it's 30 minutes later, and I'm drooling all over myself because I fell asleep. So, but could you help me with some reading? If you flip over your notes, we included some weekly readings that'll start on Wednesday. 
It'll move you through the gospel of Mark and prepare us for Resurrection Sunday. Things that we can do together. Dinners that we can have together. Things that we can call one another to a deep sense of following. But also, historically, some Christians have found great wealth and value in fasting from certain things through the season of Lent. Setting something aside. Something that you like. I'm going to fast from lima beans for Jesus. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Yeah, that's not really much of a fast. And I don't know that it's really doing to my heart what it needs to do to my heart. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's the news. Maybe it's chocolate. Maybe it's who knows what it is. Maybe it's listening to the radio on the way to work. It's something that's going to grab you and poke you and prod you and remind you. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So my challenge to you is maybe between now and Wednesday, find something that you can set down that you will miss for the next 40 days. If you go back to the middle of your notes. Artist, would you come up, please? What do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? Doesn't your heart say with mine sometimes, nah, that's enough. He knows I love him. Join me on a journey. Let's discover something incredible together. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our Hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.